fruit and are the protector of cows. An ocean of bliss comes from the Lord who plays the divine flute. It's a chant to Krishna, the beloved. <clears throat> very nice, beautiful. Well, very festive evening. And um, uh, I spoke to Devi Ma today and asked her to record a little message from Ganeshpuri, which she did just a couple of hours ago. And let's watch that now. Turn the light. This light. Hi, everyone. It's uh still great to be in Ganeshpuri, I may say. And uh, there have been many complexities, but they've all worked out by Guru's grace. And this morning, we went to Baba Samadhi, and it was very peaceful and very quiet, and not that many people, actually. But as I was meditating, I was remembering, of course, my time in uh, Ganeshpuri, the time I spent with Baba. But I was also remembering things in Ganeshpuri days, Guruji's book, and how that book and Mount Eliza and, and this Ganeshpuri with Bhagavan all somehow comes together because when he comes here uh, in a very special way, it's wonderful to see him bestowing Guru's grace on all the devotees who come here to greet him. And somehow it's more special because his great one of his greatest joys, just as though he introduced new people to Baba when Baba was sitting in Ganeshpuri, so too now he loves to introduce all of you who haven't met him or haven't been to Ganeshpuri to Bhagwan and Baba in their formless nature. But for him, that's the greatest joy and blessing. And for all of us, it becomes that, also that great joy and blessing. And so 
our time here is ending soon, and I'm looking forward to coming home and being with you all again. And so until then, serve the Guru, love the Guru, and remember Swamiji's teaching, I am the Self. Sakurnat Maharaj ki It's true, my greatest pleasure was to, uh, the save I had of introducing new people to Baba, taking them around the ashram and bringing them up to Baba, and that really hasn't changed. So if you've never been to Ganeshpuri, I really want to take you there next November. And if you've been there, I really want to take you there. <laughs> because that's the best thing I know of in this world. <clears throat> so welcome, everyone. Uh, to tonight's satsang. And of course, with Devi Ma and uh, Anandi and Swami Turyananda in Ganeshpuri and watching, where, where should I look? There? And uh, they're all watching, and I think others are too, which I'll, I'll say hello to them later. Uh, I thought the only appropriate thing would be to talk about the great being that I met in Ganeshpuri. And that is the great beings that I met in Ganeshpuri. <clears throat> this is a, a picture taken in Kailas Nivas, which is just a stone throw from Bhagwan's Samadhi Shrine, where he's buried. This was his ashram. And uh, Bhagwan Nityananda is lying in his characteristic pose. And Baba is there. Uh, worshipping him, and uh, that's Baba Muktananda on the left, Bhagwan Nityananda on the right. And that very place we can visit. We visit that same ashram full of Shakti now. What else do you have? <clears throat> this is the Baba that I really knew. This is what I call Ganeshpuri Baba. Um, this is probably during the question-answer period. He's sitting on his perch <clears throat> in the courtyard. It's where he met everyone. And when, the, when it got too big, we used to meet in his, his apartment for question answers. But when it got too many people, we came out and uh, he, he did them out in the, the courtyard. And uh, behind him, the doorways into his quarters, into his apartment. <clears throat> Next. Uh, same same uh, pose, same place. Uh, the doorway is open to the apartment, and he's sitting there meeting everyone. He would come out several times a day at certain hours, and people would stream in from the local area or from, from uh, Mumbai or anywhere uh, and have his darshan, meet him, uh, ask him a question, say a few words, and have his blessing. So that's it, no? Very nice. <clears throat> so tonight we'll do my program I call Ganeshpuri Days, appropriately. And these are question answers with Baba <clears throat> from, from my days with him when I spent three years in his ashram just down the road from Bhagwan's Samadhi Shrine. Uh, Baba had a massive, beautiful ashram. Uh, and I did sadhana there with him for, for those years. <clears throat> and several times a week, <clears throat> pardon me, 
Several times a week, we would meet with him and ask him questions. The rest of the time, it was very intense, nonverbal, lots of chanting, lots of seva work on the grounds, lots of meditation. <clears throat> Nothing was explained, and we just worked on ourselves intensely. But then several times a week, we would meet with him, and we would ask him all kinds of questions, and that was the high point of the week. So these are questions from those days. First question. <clears throat> You'll have to bear with me. First question is from Natalie. And uh, <laughs> is that funny? Natalie was um, uh, a French girl, uh, and she worked with Girija in the bookstore. She's a very quiet little French girl <clears throat> and um, very serious. She said, you once said that one should renounce the sense of self and give up identification with the body. What are the practical means of this renunciation? It's a decent question. Baba says, you'll never find peace through a form of renunciation which does not show discrimination, understanding, or discretion. So you can renounce, but if it's not intelligent, if it's not filled with knowledge, you won't get any results. <clears throat> Baba says, gold is extracted from a mine and then subjected to certain processes. Suppose a piece of it happens to come into your hands. What makes you think that you'll find peace by discarding that, that God is hostile to gold? So giving up material goods, why will that be? <clears throat> what makes you think God loves to see people naked, like the elephant? <laughs> Such thinking shows that one's understanding is deficient. And so now Bob is talking about true what renunciation really is. And he would often tell a story from the Yoga Vashishta, which is the story of uh, King Sikidwaj and his queen, Chudala. Uh, it's a wonderful story, very long. In the, in the Yoga Vashishta, it's like 20, 40 pages. Um, but I'll summarize it for you. Uh, what happened was the king, Sikidwaj, suddenly got the spiritual bug. And he decided that he wanted to attain the self. This is very praiseworthy. But he thought that what he had to do was give up everything to attain the self. And if you read certain scriptures, you get that impression. So he decided he would give up his kingdom uh, and go into the forest. Now, his wife, Chudala, was much smarter than him, <laughs> as is often the case. <clears throat> and um, and um, uh, she didn't want him to give up the kingdom, but she couldn't stop him because he was bullheaded and he forged ahead. So he gave him, and little, unknown to Sikhidwaj, uh, Chudala was a very accomplished yogini, and she had attained the self. But she didn't bother to tell him that. She just reigned as the queen. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> yeah. Very good. <clears throat> Single malt? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <clears throat> so 
so she decided she would deal with him herself. So she got into disguise like a Shakespeare play, where she became a man in disguise, the sage Kumba. Because he wouldn't listen to his wife, but he might listen to a sage, right? So um, Kumba went to Sikidwaj and said, Oh, king, peace follows renunciation. And that was the great statement. Peace follows renunciation. <clears throat> and so the king had renounced his wealth, his creature comforts, his kingdom. He still had no peace. So he tried renouncing dairy and sugar and gluten. <laughs> gluten was the hardest one, but still that didn't give him peace. So it's a long, very long story. It goes through all these things, doesn't get peace. And finally he said, the only thing I can do is renounce uh, the body. And he decided to throw himself into the, into the fire. Um, and just at that point, Kumba, his, his wife, uh, Chidala, came running up and said, wait a minute, king. So what makes you think that all these things are yours? What makes you think that the body is yours? None of these things are yours. Renounce the attachment to them. And in that moment, he was enlightened. Then he went back and ruled his kingdom as an enlightened being. And he took on all the things he had, but always was in the right relationship to them. So that's the story of, and Baba says, Baba says now, to shave off the hair which grows naturally and consider this to be renunciation, to change the color of your clothes, come saffron, and consider this to be true renunciation, or to leave one large home and acquire a small one and consider that to be renunciation, isn't that stupid? Who teaches such harmful renunciation? True renunciation comes only when instead of feeling, I am the body, I am the body, I am the body, all the time, you begin to feel with the same conviction, I am the soul, I am the spirit, I am the self. And I've told you recently about, I've told you many times how Baba told me, meditate on, I am the self. Not to identify with your physical body, and also all the experiences that you have, but meditate on that which is higher, that which is essential. I am the self. Baba says, to give up the good things of life is not renunciation. It only shows lack of understanding. To give up your duties, to give up good actions, to give up skills and wander from place to place, deluded like a hippie. <laughs> that is not renunciation, but sheer folly. <laughs> those were the glory days of the hippie back in those days. Another one from Purnima, another French girl, <clears throat> very different from uh, Natalie. Purnima was a fiery <clears throat> French existentialist. Uh, she said, could you please speak on silence? and its importance, especially in the early morning and the evening after chanting. Now that, you know, I listened to these questions with a very tuned-in ear, and Purnima was actually making a statement against certain people who were talking too much at those times. And she was trying to manipulate Baba to bust them, 
and she was not above that, I have to say. She was a very great person, but, you know, very fiery. <clears throat> Baba says, after having described the different forms of silence, the sages in the scriptures go on to say, the same supreme truth is revealed in the state of true silence. All the rest is noise. Baba says, to talk only as much as necessary and not to utter a single word which is unnecessary, that too is silence. <clears throat> and of course, we understand that uh, using your speech properly so that you speak energetic upward shifts, as we say, speech that's uplifting, that's kind of silence. When we use our speech just to bring everything down, bring ourselves down, bring others down, put other people down, so on, then we lose energy, and this is not silence, that's very wordy. Baba says, the supreme silence is a state in which you achieve, which you achieve in meditation when the mind becomes fully merged in the inner self and when it gets beyond the reach of all sounds and all noises. So he's telling her, well, if you were really absorbed in meditation, you wouldn't even be hearing those noises. That's what I heard. I don't know if she, I don't know if she heard that. <clears throat> Saints have sung of this state. All the yogis and divinities praise the silence. If you can achieve it, very good, but there's no point in just keeping your mouth shut all the time. <clears throat> yeah. I've met yogis who kept practice silence for a long time, uh, but did their mind, was their mind silent? That's another question. Did they really attain anything? So they didn't speak, but anyway. There's a fellow who comes here from Ganeshpuri, Baba says. He was here yesterday for lunch. Not here, but there. Whatever you ask him, he says, Om. <laughs> there, there were actually, in my day in Ganeshpuri, there were quite a few people like that. Very obnoxious. You say, hello, uh, uh, did you bring the uh, cloth or something? Om. <clears throat> what time is lunch? Om. <laughs> Baba says, he's been observing silence for 30 years, and that hasn't made him any wiser. <laughs> it's far better to continually chant the divine name, to engage the tongue in japa, and to recite hymns. That is supreme silence. All of you should practice this silence. Don't talk compulsively all the time. Don't behave like a man suffering from an unbearable itch who is scratching all the time. Talk only when necessary. To talk only when necessary and to remain silent otherwise, that is good. Say only things that are necessary and uplifting and appropriate. <clears throat> One who indulges in too much chatting would find it very difficult to chant and also very difficult to speak the truth. And now Baba tells one of the most extraordinary stories which he uh, used to tell. It was quite always a very great experience. He says, before Kali Yuga manifested, the sages had a meeting in the court of King Parikshit to make a plan for what they were going to do during the dark age that was about to happen. Many of you know that in the Hindu system, there are four ages. And just like we look back to the Garden of Eden when everything was perfect, 
Many cultures do that. They look back to a time when everything was much better than now. And this is always the worst stage, isn't it? <clears throat> and so, um, so first there was the golden age when everyone was virtuous and loving and everyone did the mantra and attended satsang and behaved nicely and were kind. And then came the next day, the golden age became the silver age. And then, the, uh, and so anyway, there were four ages like that, each one uh, a quarter less uh, joyous and uh, virtuous than the one before it, until you get down to the fourth age, uh, the, the Iron Age, the Kali Yuga, which is now, when everybody is screwed up, miserable, uh, deceitful, uh, impoverished, and uh, tormented, depressed, and everything, like we know everyone is now, except those who meditate. <clears throat> so... So the Kali Yuga, it was on the dawn of the Kali Yuga. It was passing from the third age to the fourth age, and they were all nervous. And all the sages met, what will we do about the Kali Yuga? <clears throat> so they met in this court, uh, and they were full of dark foreboding. During their meeting, a bizarre figure of a gigantic naked man came dancing into the meeting place, holding his tongue with one hand and his sex organ with the other. And, and I can never forget Baba. Baba went like this. <laughs> he loved doing that. He's like that. <clears throat> all the courtiers and sages were shocked when they saw him. They all said, what a terrible disgrace. This fellow should be beheaded. <clears throat> they knew that in the Kali Yuga there, should be no, there would be no righteousness, no purity, no truthfulness. The giant spoke out in a loud voice. You're all concerned about Kali Yuga. I am Kali Yuga. <laughs> so he's the embodiment of Kali Yuga. Kali Yuga said, you shouldn't feel scared of me at all. It's true that my age will be a dark one, but I'll be entirely unable to harm those who have acquired control of their tongue and their sex organ. And they chant Hare Krishna, right? <clears throat> they say that, that in Kali Yuga, uh, it's actually the best time for spirituality because God is so distraught. No one pays any attention to him. Everybody is busy with politics and hatred and drugs and all kinds of stuff. That if anybody does a few mantras, he's overjoyed and he rushes to give them blessings. So it's a very good time to do sadhana. So Baba says, therefore, it's always better to talk little. Give rest to your tongue. Uh, give rest to your tongue the rest of your time. To engage the tongue in japa, in the repetition of mantra, is even better than mere silence. Through chanting, the tongue acquires great powers. If such a person happens to make a statement, that will turn out to be true. He utters only truth. Silence really means speaking the truth talking as little as possible and repeating the name of God. Good one? Yeah. Uh, another one. How is that? You like that story? Kali Yuga. Uh, it is, certainly it is Kali Yuga, isn't it not? You could just think of five things that have happened today and it's Kali Yuga. But, all right. uh, this is helpful. 
<clears throat> Durga, this, she's an American girl. Um, and uh, well, the, her question is reflective of, of her. <laughs> I was saying, question. How do I overcome feelings of unworthiness and inadequacy that come during meditation? I think we can all identify when, when self-hatred and negative thoughts, tearing thoughts come up and assail us, not necessarily only in meditation, but any time. <clears throat> and Baba gives his characteristic answer. Baba, don't attach any importance to those feelings. That was his, that's what, you know, after hearing him for so long, I began to see that, that was his basic approach. Stand in the self, and when all these other th negative tensions come up, don't attach much importance. Don't think, oh my God, I had a bad thought, don't. But neither run after that thought and say, yes, it's true, I am a bad person. Don't do that. Don't say, okay, it comes up. And it also goes away, just don't bite. Bible says, don't pay much attention, any importance to it. You are not your feelings, you are the place where feelings arise. Just as in the upper spaces, clouds appear and vanish, in the space of the heart, endless feelings and thoughts rise and set. Why should you attach any special importance to them? Everything, the self is always there, and then the changing scenery, different thoughts, different feelings, keep unfolding and unfolding, and stories, we tell stories to ourselves endlessly. Baba's saying, don't, don't worry about that. Stay strong in the self and let these things come and go. Don't pay that much attention to them. Baba says, ignore the clouds and look for the sun in their midst. <clears throat> the old, uh, the hippie guru, Ken Kesey, the novelist, used to say, uh, focus on the donut, not the hole. <laughs> you don't even know what that means. Donut, in America, the donuts are like that. Well, now you have donuts like that, don't you? And there's a hole in the donut. But, so you look, you look at what's the positive, you look at the sun, and not the clouds. You look at the self and not the negative thoughts. So it's, where, it's, it's always where you place the focus. Now, there's, there's a certain uh, predisposition we have to put our minds on unhealthy things. You know, if we have a bad thought about ourselves, we get fascinated. We want to just, it's like scratching some part of you, you know, that you should just keep your hands off, you should keep scratching until it bleeds. And um, so it's that way we, we, we pay attention. We should turn our minds away and keep our minds in a good condition. So he says, <clears throat> Bob says, there are many things around me here. There's no need to remove them all in order to meet me. It's a wonderful analogy. Similarly, look for the light among the clouds as you concentrate on the light, your mind also will become peaceful. Baba's sitting there, you don't have to take all these things, just come meet Baba. <clears throat> Ignore the clouds and look for the sun in their midst. While meditating, you should let go of your faults. Suppose I feel angry this evening and then sit for meditation the next morning. There should be no trace of that anger left in me. It, it's not a tragedy if you get angry. It's not a tragedy if you feel momentary 
sadness or depression or fear or something comes up, it's only when you catch on to it and you make it live and you keep uh, enlivening it, that's the problem. When it just comes up and you let it go, no problem, just keep moving. There should be no choice. I can honor myself and meditation will come. During sleep, one sleeps and does nothing else while meditating, just meditate. Don't be self-conscious about your weakness, weaknesses. Attachment and hatred may still be there, but many good qualities are also present. The point is not to honor yourself for your faults, but honor yourself for your good qualities. Again, it's focus. Don't expect to be perfect. That's all right that the, these things are there, but focus on the self. Don't let your price fall in the market by keeping alive the memory of your faults, attachments, and hatreds. Depending on your temperament, attachments and negative feelings may persist for quite some time. Nonetheless, you should keep on cultivating good qualities. Hatred and attachment don't last, so why should your thoughts about them last? In one's life, if in one's life some painful event has taken place, the mark of a wise man is that he doesn't preserve the pain in his thoughts, but forgets about it very soon. He doesn't nurse the trauma and just go on and on nursing it, but he lets it go as much as he can. It's Baba's uh, psychology. It's a good one. <clears throat> How are we doing? Okay. <clears throat> so um, I thought also appropriate to uh, have Baba talk about his guru since they're in Ganeshpuri. I feel like we're all in Ganeshpuri now. Because Devi Maya and company are in Ganeshpuri, so are we. Because, you know, in, in the business of mystical insight, there's no such thing as time and space. There's all connectedness. So here's a, a question by Kalyani, who's another American girl, a very avid yogini. Would Baba tell us something about Bhagavan Nityananda? Since none of us have had the good fortune to meet him, I would love to hear you talk about your guru. Baba, what can I really say about my guru? He was a being who had attained everything. Most of the time he was absorbed in his own self. He had attained such a great meditative state that when he ate, he was in that state. When he drank, he was in that state. When he walked, he was in that state. It's called the state of Sahaja Samadhi, the natural state, where there's nothing, no effort is necessary. You don't have to do austerities, but you're always relaxed in that state. And whatever you're doing is filled with that state. There's always a connection with the divine, the divine Shakti. Baba says, just as when the river Ganges merges into the ocean and becomes the ocean, in the same way he had merged into the supreme principle and become that. He had Shiva Samavesha, he's merged in Shiva, he'd given up the small self and merged in the large self. I wouldn't have believed such a thing was possible, but then I went to India, I met beings who had attained that goal, and they said anyone who wants to can attain that goal if you make effort. Uh, and that goal is filled with joy and filled with energy and filled with love. And Baba says, 
He was always absorbed in love. He was completely wrapped in the intoxication of love. If a worthy person went to see him, he would offer them love. If an unworthy person went to see him, he would offer them love. He was a great renunciate and very generous. He loved giving things away to poor people. He would give them clothes and food. He lived in the jungle where there were mountains all around and there were Adivasis, tribal people. <clears throat> They're the uh, Adivasis, the original dwellers, the aboriginals, uh, and there are many around Ganeshpuri, and, and they used to come to see Bhagwan. <clears throat> he changed the jungle into a beautiful town. They said before he got to Ganeshpuri in that area, it was all a wild jungle. He was omniscient. He knew the past, the present, and the future. Nonetheless, he, he, retained, he remained very simple. He didn't like people coming too close to him. He didn't allow them to touch his body. Thousands of people could be sitting in front of him, but they had to be very quiet. Nobody could make any noise. Just by watching him, people would obtain something. They would experience that shakti. Even after his death, how many, 60 years or something after his death, you sit in the temple and you can experience that. That's how extraordinary it is. He was such a great being. His state was so strange. Sometimes he would speak, but if he didn't want to, he wouldn't. He would use one or two words, and those words are enough for people. He would say, follow the right path. And that was it. The person would start following the right path. Baba did that too. Baba would just say, don't be angry. <laughs> you, know, you know, you think, give me a technique, a meditation, a dharana, a you know, mantra that I can use. Baba just, don't be angry. And suddenly you weren't angry. That's the greatness of these beings. Bhagwan, you say, bhavana rako, which is keep the feeling, which means stay anchored in the self, in the state of equanimity, in the state of peace. So don't let your mind wander off. Everyone can make that choice. You have to build the power of will by meditation and contemplation and mantra. And you build that power, then you can choose not to let your mind go down negative paths, which are to your detriment. You can choose to keep it, your mind in the, in the blue zone, in the good zone, in the love zone. And that's what he'd do. He was such a great being, Baba says. The stories about him are marvelous. He performed so many miracles, but he did very quietly. His miracles were meant for his work, for his mission. On the stage, people mesmerize other people. They show off their powers, but my guru did not display his powers. He had attained self-control. He had also attained the city, the power, the occult power, uh, to know what's going on in another person's mind or heart. Even though he knew it, he wouldn't let you know, know that he knew it. I felt that about Baba. Baba was omniscient in that way. He always knew what was going on with me. He wouldn't always say it, but he would look at me a certain way. And he looked around and he saw everybody like the Sphinx. He saw everything. But he said not much, but he saw. Baba says, he had equal vision for everybody. He did not take any interest in religions. All religions were the same for him. 
He would put a shawl around his shoulders and wear a loincloth around his waist. If it was very hot, he would just wear the loincloth. His body was very beautiful. He had a big belly because of kumbak. So they say that a yogi sometimes will have hold air inside his belly. Kumbak, that's the, the, the retained breath, and that's where great power would come from. Just by being in his company, you could attain everything. And that's the wonder of these great beings, that just being in their company, everything happens for you spiritually. How are we doing? <clears throat> I have a couple more. I could do one. Uh, oh, just do one more. Short one? Yeah. That's beautiful, wasn't that? That would be nice to meet Bhagwan Nityananda, wouldn't it? But you can. You can actually meet him. You can't meet him in the flesh, you know, but, but uh, you meet the essence of him, and we really do meet him. It's very powerful. <clears throat> Question. I would like to know how to handle an overwhelming sense of loneliness. Baba said, once the prophet Muhammad was going on a pilgrimage with two of his friends, on the way some bandits started chasing them. Muhammad's friends became very agitated and the prophet asked them, are you afraid? Yes, they said, some bandits are chasing after us. The prophet said, are you aware of the being who stands behind us and who is equal to any number of bandits? <clears throat> Baba says, because you've given him up, you feel lonely. Grab hold of him now, the being who stands behind. And then there'll be two of you, God and yourself. The sense of loneliness will vanish. When such a powerful Lord pervades everywhere, why should one feel lonely? <laughs> Good question. <clears throat> so, uh, let's meditate. <clears throat> I can feel the Ganeshpuri Shakti here. And one of the great things to meditate is on that Shakti, that spiritual energy. And through Baba's grace, that energy is in this ashram also. And this ashram is connected to Ganeshpur, it's connected to Bhagavan Nityananda and to Baba Muktananda and to the whole lineage of great beings. And if you can connect with that energy inside yourself, let that energy grow and expand. Because that energy is the energy of the true self. It's who you really are. It's the energy of peace and the energy of love and of wisdom, the energy of the self. It's your own energy and it's also the divine energy. And you can also say the mantra. In the Kali Yuga, the great method is to repeat the mantra. The mantra conquers everything. The mantra of our tradition is Om Namah Shivaya. And by repeating it, the mind becomes still and connects us to the self. So we'll meditate now for 10 minutes. And once again, with great love and respect, remembering Baba, Bhagavan Nityananda, and thinking about Ganeshpuri, I welcome you all with all my heart. Satguna Maharaj Kijay. Let's meditate for 10 minutes now. 